have you <clears throat> ever been asked a vague question by someone uh, and you know they have a very specific answer they expect you to say, but you don't know what that answer is? Um, maybe, you, maybe you can't relate. Uh, I, I think I, I know I've told some of you all this story before, but um, this process has happened to me many times. Somebody asks you a question that they already know the answer for, but they want you to guess what it is, and it's, if you're, just don't, don't do that. Um, but there was one time in particular, I was in a room with seven or eight men, uh, the elders from my home church. I was about to graduate from Kentucky Christian University with my degree in Bible and ministry and ready to start my life as in vocational ministry. And there, I was in that room for, um, for preparation for ordination as a minister. And uh, their job was to grill me, uh, to test me, and make sure that I was prepared for ministry. Now, I know <clears throat> that it's probably not as scary as defending a dissertation or some, maybe some job interviews you've sat through. Um, but for 21-year-old Rodney, sitting in front of these men, who, I, I mean, I knew them. Uh, I grew up there under their leadership. Uh, I loved them. They loved me. I respected them. It was still a terrifying experience. But things were going well. After all, I had sat through, I don't know how many Bible courses, uh, ministry classes. I knew the answers. And everything was going smooth until Bob Pearson asked me a question. And I, I, I can't say this is an exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, what was the most important thing Jesus taught? Huh, seems easy enough, right? Well, I had this deer in the headlights look, because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, Jesus taught a lot of stuff, Bob. Uh, I mean, how do, you, how do you rank his stuff? That, and so I thought, okay, maybe... Maybe Jesus, or maybe he's talking about uh, the greatest commandment. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. You know, maybe that's it. But then, gosh, that's, that's pretty broad. I bet he means something more specific, like grace. Maybe, because Jesus taught a lot about grace. Maybe that was it. No, 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 that can't be it either. The kingdom of God. Jesus did the whole, uh, you know, Sermon on the Mount thing. Lots of talk about the kingdom of God. It's like this or like that. That's got but that's too much again. What is so finally, I settle in on love. You can't, I mean, you can't go wrong with love, right? God is love. Jesus is God. There you go. There's your answer. Jesus is, oh, I think uh, Bob, Mr. Pearson, I mean, I wouldn't have said Bob. Mr. Pearson, I think, uh, I think the most important thing Jesus taught was love. Well, guess what? That was not the answer he was looking for. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, I'm guessing that throughout the rest of Bob's life, he never once thought about that moment in that meeting uh, ever again. But it is seared into my memory because uh, his, of his thought process behind it. He didn't chastise me for getting the question wrong, because quite frankly, I'm not wrong. Uh, but he guided me to thinking bigger, to a bigger picture. Because... Bob loved me, as did the other elders in the room. He wanted to make sure that I didn't miss this one supremely important truth that applies in ministry, but really for all of us, 
And that truth is this, life is not about me. It's about humbling myself in service to others that they might see Christ through me. And we know that, right? We know we're supposed to serve others. Man, it's easier said than done. And it made me wonder, is it, is it possible that I sat through who knows how many Bible and ministry classes, how many chapel services? Is it, is it possible <laughs> that as, as you've sat and listened to hundreds of sermons that we have completely missed the point? I mean, have we made church about something Jesus wasn't really interested in? Have we made our standard for success, our measurement of success, something that, that Jesus was simply unconcerned about? I mean, sometimes I ask myself, are, have we made church about budgets and buildings and bodies? Have we, have we made it about me? Have we made it about the things I like? So what if the measure of our faith isn't at all about our attendance, the size of our buildings, or how much money we have? What if it's not about our preferences, what kind of songs I want to sing, or what kind of sermon I want to hear? What if all of this isn't really about me or you? What if it's about something altogether simpler? Because, as we've seen time and time again, the way of Jesus is so vastly different than our way. And so today, we're going to look at Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 23, the first 12 verses. And if you have your Bible or app or whatever, you can turn there. But while you're getting there, I want to say that as we read this passage, we should be careful not to read this text as though it were simply directed toward a couple of groups of people in Jesus' day. And instead, I think we need to start by asking the question, have I missed it? Where have I been deceived? Where have we misunderstood? Okay? So Matthew chapter 23, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie heavy, cumbersome loads and put it on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. By others, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is one of those passages where if we will tear down our defenses and consider ourselves honestly, God might be able to expose some blind spots that we have. He might be able to uncover our hearts and save us from ourselves. Because the tendency is to look at this and go, whoo, he told it to the Pharisees. 
He really stuck it to him. You go, Jesus. But look again, the very beginning, who he's talking to. He turns to the crowds and his disciples. This is for you and for me. And so I think this passage leads me to ask a few questions. The first one is this right at the beginning. Do we fail to practice what we preach? Jesus somewhat ironically uh, applauds the Pharisees and the teachers of the law saying they sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they carry the authoritative word of God. And so what Jesus means is that the people should obey them so far as, insofar as they teach the word of God rightly. Their actions, on the other hand, are not to be imitated. So Pharisees, teachers of the law, loved rules. Uh, and I've told you guys before, I can relate to the Pharisees because I love rules as well. I like structure and order. And boop, boop, boop. But what Jesus was talking about was that he made, they were making rules about rules about rules. And it made it so hard to navigate the Jewish faith that they weren't willing to do what they were saying. And so this question, do I fail to practice what I preach, I mean, hits me right between the eyes. And it should speak volumes to our elders, to our deacons, but really to all of us. When we ask this question, is there consistency between what we say and how we live as a parent, as a, a student in school, as a spouse in your workplace, in your, in your friendships? Are we putting into practice what we say we believe? The questions get harder. Because the second one leads me to ask, are we not content with the approval of God? Do we desire or even crave the applause of people? I mean, earlier in Matthew, Jesus talks to the people who uh, pray and give and fast in order to be seen by other people, and not in a good way. The teachers of the law wore these elaborate clothes, these phylacteries, which is boxes filled with scripture on their foreheads. It's kind of foreign to us, but it was a big deal then. Uh, they wore long tassels, longer than necessary, in their prayer garments. Um, and instead of drawing attention to God and his word, they used these things to draw attention to themselves. They wanted a seat in the reserved section so that as they made their magnificent entry, people could be in awe of how wonderful and spiritual they are. And so then we have to ask ourselves, are we content with the approval of God? Do we crave an elevated status? Do we desire people to notice us, to revere us? Because I'll, I'll tell you this, it is a deadly thing to desire the applause of people. It will create in you an insatiable thirst for more. And as a result, you become less and less content with the approval that God gives you. And these two questions tee up the final question we're going to discuss today pretty well because it all leads up to this. Do we assert our superiority over others and in the process usurp Christ's superiority over all.
So Jesus speaks of how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law take delight in people calling them rabbi. And we can get caught up in titles, but at the end of the day, Jesus isn't talking so much about titles as much as this is a clear rebuke of those who have used uh, their leadership position to assert some sort of authority over other people. And so if you look at this question and go, I don't, I don't know, I don't know the answer to this question. Well, let me ask some clarifying follow-up questions. Does your heart delight in receiving honor over others? Do you find comfort whenever you realize you're in a better or higher position than someone else? Are you prone to, even if it's just in your own mind, exalt yourself above others? Do you compare yourself with other people, subconsciously measuring yourself against them to discern, to discern your own level of spirituality or success? So C.S. Lewis, uh, in his work, uh, Mere Christianity, refers to pride as the great sin. He writes this, classic Lewis, if you think you're not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. And he continues, and if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that you are proud. And in this section, he makes clear the, the link between pride and competition. He says, now, what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of something than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And we Americans love the comparison game. We love it because it can make us, it can make us feel better about ourselves. And you have probably, though you would never say it out loud, found a little bit of joy in seeing someone whom you think is better than you or someone whom you think thinks they're better than you take a tumble or find themselves in a crisis of their own making. Because if, if I'm doing worse than the person next to me, I feel bad about myself, especially if I'm thinking spiritually. But if I'm doing better than the person next to me, then I feel better about myself spiritually. Do you see the futility in this? This can lead nowhere but down the path of pride. And pride doesn't always mean thinking you're better than somebody else. Pride can also be thinking you're not as good as somebody else. That's a whole other story. But the core that Jesus is getting at is we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, equal before God, through Christ, and Jesus alone is superior. So this question of pride leads us to ask, am I hypocritically centered on myself? Because Jesus makes the answer to this uh, pretty clear, the application right here in verses 11 and 12, when he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
principle of humility, this teaching of Jesus on humility, is most clearly seen in the way we serve other people or the way we fail to. So as we live our lives, are we looking for ways to serve others or are our thoughts more along the lines of what can I get out of this? His humble service is the way of Christ and true humility breeds service. This is the message of Christ and this is what Bob Pearson was trying to convey to me as I began my journey into vocational ministry. So we have spent, this is the sixth week in our series we've called Rooted, and service is our sixth expression of God's love. Uh, as we work through this framework of our journey, a lifelong journey with Jesus, we define service as showing God's love tangibly. Service is what we see throughout Jesus' life and his ministry as a means to draw people to him. He could have taught all day long, but instead he, he fed them first. He cared for the sick and the hurting. And the early church followed suit. They began to care for orphans and for widows. They cared for the sick. They took care of the poor among them. And all of it was a means to an end to show God's love tangibly, to open the door to share God's good news. So if you want to know what led to the uh, explosive growth of the early church, it was, it was this, it was the outrageous humility displayed through service. When I have the opportunity to preach, one of my favorite sections, I have, I, here's a little secret, I divide my sermon into five sections. Uh, it helps me stay focused because I like rules. Um, but this is my favorite section, it's the application section, and, and most often it's the longest section uh, of my message and so for a while, I've been thinking about the application section of this message on service. And so I've been thinking of ways about wearing you out with examples of service. Because we could list them for days. But then Justin said something uh, the other day when we were just talking about this, uh, this amongst the staff. And uh, he said something, this is not a direct quote, but something to the effect of, you know, I think when we give people too many examples, I fear we may squash the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. God may have something greater in store for them. I hate it when he's right. So I'm going to tell you this. You're going to get out early today. Um, because my application section is now shorter. But here's what I promise that we will do. We will tell you about opportunities for service because we have them available. We uh, will be telling you about, in the weeks and months ahead, about organizations we want to partner with and that we want to encourage you to partner with. There are opportunities all around us if we will simply look. And that's where humility comes into play. When we are living on mission, when we are actively looking to partner with God's work in the world, We'll see opportunities to serve. We talked a few weeks ago, Justin talked about using our time and talents and treasures joyfully in the study uh, on the week about generosity. And, you know, we think about generosity, we think about writing a check. But there's also time and there's also talents. You have gifts 
that you can use in service. Justin also reminded us that we're not all called to be evangelists, but we all have a responsibility to tell the story God is telling in our lives. And opportunities to share your story happen when you're on mission, partnering with God's work in the world. So let me ask you this. If you don't know where to start serving, start saying, asking yourself, what are my talents? And show God's love using those. And if you're still drawing a blank, I want you to think about something that you think maybe you're above doing. Now do that thing. And now don't you wish you had one in your mind? Because the core of all of this, greatness in the Lord's kingdom does not come through rulership or through authority, but through service. That's the goal. The goal should be serving, not ruling. Because those most highly esteemed will be those who serve, those who are humble. Jesus taught and showed us that life has more to do with service than with status. Jesus had all the status. He had more clout than anybody on earth. But he knelt down at that last supper to serve his disciples in humility. And ultimately, he laid down his life to save yours. He doesn't leave us alone. He left us with the greatest gift of the church, this community of believers to journey alongside as we seek to be rooted in God's love. He went before us. He carries us through. And he promises to welcome us home with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord, service is so hard. It, it just rubs us all kinds of wrong. It flies in the face of our self. It flies in the face of the culture around us that continually is telling us to make a name for yourself, to excel in school to get a college to notice you or uh, a coach to notice you. Get your boss to notice you so that you can get a raise and you can get more stuff. Get just We're constantly bombarded by this pull to make a name for us. And we know that it can leak into our spiritual lives because our spiritual lives are part of our lives. It can leak into the church. And so, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the times where we've allowed that to seep in here. But Lord, help us to have the honesty with ourselves and with you to recognize where pride has seeped in to our, any area of our life. Lord, as we continue in worship today, we just, we pray that you would stir our hearts, soften our hearts, and help us to see who you've called us to be, and help us to have the courage, even if we don't want to, help us to want to want to, <laughs> to serve you, that we might be able to share your story 
because Jesus alone has the authority. Jesus alone has hope. Jesus alone holds our future and our eternity. Lord, help us to be fully surrendered to him. In Jesus' name.